Hello and welcome to Sex Ed for Sex Med, a prime resource for evidence-based education about sexual medicine for students, practitioners, and the public. I'm your host, Dr. Terry Gibbs, and today I'm talking with Teresa Dibel, a family nurse practitioner who specializes in primary care for adult women. She's in the department of OBGYN at the Ohio State Wexner Medical Center and is in the Division of Maternal-Fetal Medicine. She recently talked to us about uh, weight loss and the midlife. And today we're talking about breastfeeding and sexual health, both very sensitive, sensitive uh, issues, but extremely important to understand so we can uh, talk to people about any of the pitfalls. So welcome, Teresa. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. Yeah. And um, let's let's start off our conversation with just a, you know, a general uh, discussion about the postpartum. I've heard so many women say, boy, I, I got so ready for, for being pregnant and for delivering the baby, but boy, nobody, <laughs> nobody <laughs> prepared me for this postpartum. What's that all about? And so I think, in fact, this is such an important time. The American College of OBGYNs calls this now the fourth trimester. Mm -hmm. So if, if you could talk a little bit about just in general, how we should approach and help people through this postpartum period. Sure. So when, I, um, <clears throat> when I'm seeing women in maternal fetal medicine, I'm seeing them at that six-week postpartum appointment. Um, also, in primary care, because I kind of wear two different hats in that way, I'm seeing women at any time postpartum, you know, it might be cl closer to that six week or within that first year. Um, and so that's nice because there's a lot of opportunity at all of those, um, all of those times to really have this conversation, but starting in that six week time frame, um, lots of questions for how they're feeling. And I think uh, some of them are more obvious, you know, we ask, oh, how's your bleeding? How's your pain? How's your, um, is your bowel and bladder working? Okay. And that sort of thing. But then digging into some more, um, more less medicine-y questions, um, you know, how are you, how are you feeling? And one question that I like to ask, cause we do the, um, the Edinburgh score, the, uh, ED, I'm sorry, EPDS. Um, I'll say your score was a two you know, that's really low. Do you feel like that's accurate? Um, or your score was really high. Do you feel like that's accurate? Tell me more about that. And that sort of open-ended question to kind of get a mood. Um, and yeah, then, what's, what's that? Explain what that test is for, if you would. Um, so that's a depression screen, a postpartum depression screen. Uh, and it asks some questions that are a little bit more specific uh, to postpartum than um, some of the more generalized screens like the PHQ-9, which is uh, just a general um, depression screen. So um, I'll ask them to sort of tell me what they think about their score. And then um, have you had sex yet? Because uh, some women have at that six-week appointment and um, many haven't. And then um, I'll ask about sleep. That's an important one to ask about, you know, are you sleeping? And I learned a long time ago, pretty early on to ask the question, are you sleeping when you get the chance to sleep? Because uh, if you just ask if you're sleeping, the answer is always no. <laughs> um, but, you know, asking about sleep, asking about how the baby's sleeping. And, and, and again, just question after question and really getting an idea of how women are doing um, and then opening up the floor to them for what their specific concerns are. <clears throat> Tell us more about um, just maybe the different categories of, 
of, of issues. You've mentioned sleep. Uh, you mentioned mood, um, you know, sexuality, contraception, baby spacing, mm -hmm. some of these things. What, what yes. Do you yes, those as well. Um, so baby spacing, um, you know, some women are kind of eager to get going with the next one. Um, the some general guidance is 18 months between deliveries. Uh, that is, I would say, most important for women that have any sort of risk of preterm labor, preterm birth. Um, when, especially if we're talking about somebody who has uh, is older, uh, over the age of 35, uh, but really for anybody that doesn't have those risks, if they're eager to get going uh, sooner, um, I the most important thing that I say is uh, physical and emotional readiness. Um, and if that is sooner than, and then, you know, about nine to 12 months from now, which is, would give you that 18 month spacing, then that's okay. As far as, um, what else did you say? Um, sleep. So yeah, you mentioned sleep. Um, yeah. Yeah. Sleep is a, a really big one. It affects so many aspects of all of these other things that we're talking about. Um, so that sleeping when you're getting a chance to sleep question, really what I'm, what I'm screening for there is anxiety, because typically if the answer is no, that's why that they're not sleeping because they can't stop looking at the baby. They're worried they're going to stop breathing, uh, things like that. And so if we get an, uh, if we get an answer that sort of, um, looks that way, then, you know, talking more about mood and postpartum depression and anxiety, um, but also acknowledging that lack of sleep is par for the course during this time and, um, strategizing as much as possible, how to get sleep. You know, the old, the old saying of sleep when the baby sleeps is a little bit, uh, easier said than done, but also the other thing I like to tell women is if you have people offering you help, take it. Everybody disappears in about six months. Uh, everybody wants to help you now. And so just take all the help you can get. If somebody wants to bring you food, fine. If somebody wants to hold your baby while you're sleeping, do it. Uh, this is the time to utilize those that support. What do you say about, you know, again, you, you talked about the baby spacing. Do you talk mm -hmm. about, you know, future plans for uh, other babies, um, you know, the size of their family. A lot of people say never talk about the next baby <laughs> just after yeah. delivery. But do you address that uh, with their, you know, their life goals with their family? Yep. Yep. I, I ask them, you know, what are we thinking about more babies? And and a lot of times people scoff at me and, you know, I say, I, I you don't have to have the answer today, but I'm really asking because we, you know, we want to talk about what your contraceptive um, plans are. Um, you know, again, those, those talking about those risks of, do we need, are we thinking about time and are, you know, are you over the age of 35 or going to be soon? Um, do we need to talk about the, those risks and future pregnancies? Did you just have preeclampsia? Do we need to talk about what that's going to look like in another pregnancy? Um, did you just have a classical C-section or, um, a C-section for failure to progress or something or shoulder dystocia, you know, a complication that may affect the, the recommendations for the mode of delivery for the next pregnancy. Um, so that that's an opportunity to discuss all of those things as well as timing. Medical issues. You brought that up. I think that's mm -hmm. so important about, you know, just medical issues. Somebody has high blood pressure, um, during the pregnancy or, or diabetes and how some of these things are just uh, red flags about their future. Do, do you, how do you address those things? Um, so I, I address it somewhat. And I also leave the firm um, recommendations of if somebody is, is potentially 
um, that the recommendation would be to avoid future pregnancy. I will leave that to my maternal fetal medicine colleagues to, to formally make that recommendation uh, because they will typically do a pre-pregnancy consult in order to do that. But if it's um, something that's sort of more a gray area, we had some complications, we need to consider that for the next pregnancy. Um, It's just sort of having like an open discussion about like, okay, so here are the things that you uh, experienced in this last pregnancy. Many of them uh, are likely to, you know, your risk of of having them again is higher because you experienced them this time. You know, if that's something like preeclampsia or uh, hypertension, gestational hypertension, or, um, you know, a type one diabetic that was had really difficulty with control and that sort of thing. And kind of weighing out the risks and benefits of those is important. They talk about the, uh, you know, having preeclampsia and, mm-hmm. and, and, and gestational diabetes being, you know, kind of a, kind of a red flag that maybe one day, you know, in, beyond the family in your mm-hmm. 40s, 50s, that you actually may develop uh, yeah. hypertension and diabetes. What, what do you tell people about that? Um, my favorite, uh, way to describe that is something that I am stealing from a, uh, another colleague of mine, uh, her name's Dr. Maida. She's a cardiologist. And, um, she said, pregnancy is like a stress test. Uh, and it kind of shows us, you know, what you're, what you're likely to do under stress, whether that stress is pregnancy or aging. And it's, um, sort of like a crystal ball into the future. And yes, with gestational diabetes and with hypertension, gestational hypertension or preeclampsia, uh, the risks of developing those issues and later in life are higher. And so that is going to, um, with gestational diabetes, you know, you should be, you should have your postpartum, um, two hour glucola, uh, which is actually, uh, very important to talk about because the compliance with that is very low. Um, I think a lot of women are not even aware of it, but you should start there and then also have annual screening with the A1C, uh, with, um, hypertension issues. Of course, you're always being screened for hypertension when you go into, um, almost any medical appointment, but also, um, having a lower threshold to address those cardiovascular risks. Do you talk about contraception, uh, um, I should say, how do you talk about contraception? Uh, so I'll, I'll ask what their, uh, contraceptive plans are. You know, a lot of women kind of already have a plan. Um, sometimes if they come up with, I want the IUD, you know, that's right away. I say, okay, like, um, you know, do you have, did you have a discussion about this before? Are you aware of the other options? You know, just so that I make sure that it's an informed decision, but also if they're like, I don't know, what are, what are my options? Then, uh, I will go through, um, the options and I like to sort of break it down into starting in three categories. Um, I start with your combined contraceptive. So your estrogen, progesterone, the pill, the patch and the ring, um, moving on to progestin only. So the IUD and explanon progesterone only pill and the depot. And then your last category is non-hormonal, which is your paraguard. And then I will, I will break those down a little bit deeper. And, um, you know, if there's something that doesn't make sense, if they're breastfeeding, estrogen is off the table. Um, if they have, um, plans for another baby, I will, I will not recommend depo just because that can uh, affect fertility for a while. Um, you know, if, if they have a personal history of, um, you know, clots or cancer or something like that, then, you know, we may only have the option of the paraguard. So sort of, uh, we giving some general all here is all of the things that exist. People really like not having that knowledge and like, Oh, I've never, I didn't know about that, but then also saying like, okay, but I wouldn't recommend this for you. You know, a lot of people uh, after delivery have, you know, their body changes Mm -hmm. and it's not gone back to 
pre-pregnancy, uh, you know, the uterus hasn't gone back to pre-pregnancy size. And, and then they, uh, you know, it's a, another child with their partner. It's, it's a, you know, what's going on here. It can change the, 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 the dynamic of the couple. Do, do you ever bring that up or, uh, you know, address that insofar as the impact that they can, that that can have on, um, on them as a couple? Mm-hmm. Especially if the, uh, if the partner, the other parent is in the room, I, I like to, you know, we have all of this discussion and, and of course the, the patient has, has gone physically through uh, birth and the, um, the focus should be on them, but I don't want to ignore the other um, parents. So I'll often just kind of turn to them and say, and how are you doing? Uh, and, you know, sometimes bring that, bring that into the conversation that way. And that kind of opens the door. Um, but even if they're not in the room, um, you know, usually one of those questions can help me get into that, whether it's a question about sleep, if it's a question about mood that will often bring in like, well, you know, this is really hard on me and my partner, um, or a question about have you resumed sex? And a lot of times that will, um, bring that up. If, if that doesn't, I would say the most time that that organically comes up is actually later in the postpartum course. I think everybody expects it six weeks that it's stressful and they don't think that it's so problematic enough to really talk to me about, but if it's, you know, six, nine months down the road, um, that's when I see, um, you know, I'm, I, something's different. I just, my partner is frustrated or, or I'm frustrated. Um, and then I'll often hear more about how the postpartum experience is ex- affecting them as a couple. When do you uh, tell people to resume sex? So we have this sort of um, traditional recommendation of six weeks. Um, I tell people it's pretty arbitrary. You know, it's it's sort of custom. Um, and I like to say, you know, you can wait six months, six weeks, six months, or six years. You know, it's really about whenever you're ready. And that's true for so many of the recommendations that you see, like when you can drive after a C-section and when you can swim, there's these arbitrary recommendations. And it's more important really to consider the, the person, the individual and how they are feeling. So some women are ready, um, especially after a C-section, they didn't experience any sort of vaginal trauma. You know, they might be ready at four weeks and that's okay. Um, and some are not. Some are not ready until 12 or beyond. And um, so that's that's how I uh, describe it is really when you're ready. You talk about uh, the pelvic health, pelvic floor health. And yes, you utilize your your um, physical therapist, pelvic floor physical therapist. Absolutely. Um, if there is any concern, um, I have a very low threshold to recommend pelvic floor PT. I think it's like routine postpartum care in some other countries. And I have heard from some, you know, of our post, um, physical therapist friends that they wish it was routine here, um, that pretty much anybody who's experienced pregnancy and delivery could benefit from it. So, uh, a very low threshold to recommend that, um, if there's concerns about, um, you know, some women will say, I, I feel like I have a prolapse. I feel like there's something, you know, coming out or something, whether or not they actually do that sensation is something I'll recommend it for, or if there's some incontinence or, uh, you know, again, almost any symptom, uh, pelvic symptom that might be part of my plan. So let's, let's now focus on, um, I think some, one of your passions and and also Mm -hmm. mine, but let's talk about the breastfeeding, um, Mm -hmm. aspect of what's going on. Now I know, you know, we were both enthusiastic about that and, and 
neither one of us believe that that shaming people into you know breastfeeding is is a smart thing at all but but for right. people who are interested sure um talk you know walk through your your recommendations for breastfeeding sure so that is also one of the questions that i'll ask in that sort of big postpartum interview is are you breastfeeding and how is that going um and uh, very rarely is it going completely well. Usually there's something going on and it leads into a bigger um, discussion. So, and, and exactly what you said, I'll, you know, if, if they, if, if, if a mom is really struggling and you can tell it's affecting her mental health and that sort of thing, then um, giving that um, guidance and, and acceptance or permission to say, you know, it's okay if this isn't working for you, but if it is, or if you want it to, and you still have that, um, you know, you still want to try to do something else then you know, here are some things that, uh, that will help, um, just depending on what that might be. Um, I'm also a, um, international board certified lactation consultant. So that the, lots of concerns will come up as far as breastfeeding goes. And, and you know, being a podcast about sexual medicine, yes. talk, talk about some of the aspects that, uh, can be impact, uh, sexuality. Yeah. So many, so many. Um, so I, I like to start, and especially if a woman is going to bring this up, you know, like, I, I don't know what's wrong. Why I, I have no libido. It's gone. I, you know, I, I used to not be like this and what's wrong with me. Um, and especially if that person is breastfeeding, then I can say, let's talk about all of the things that are going on. You know, first of all, you've got this lack of sleep. You know, we talked about that. Um, that's going to affect your stress. I mean, even if things are wonderful and you're, and you don't have any postpartum depression, this is still stressful. This is still a new responsibility. And those things alone, those don't even have anything to do with breastfeeding, but those things alone can have a major impact on everything. I mean, I've got a new puppy and I'm not sleeping and I'm stressed. <laughs> you don't have to have a baby yeah. to have those things that, you know, affect you. Um, but anyway, so then you can also have, you know, feelings about your body. Uh, that's certain the thing and, and body image and how it's changed. And that also is going to be with breastfeeding. There's going to be a, often a change in the perception of the breasts, how they look, what they're, what they're, function is, what their purpose is, and that can uh, affect things for both the, the patient and the partner. Um, there might be pain associated with sex. And especially if that person had a third or fourth degree tear, uh, we know that that might cause even more um, pain with sex and then can affect uh, libido and desire down the road. Um, you, there's a, a common feeling of feeling touched out. Uh, that's like a, a common phrase that's thrown around where sex just feels like another physical demand. There are already so many physical demands on the mom. Breastfeeding is one of the biggest ones. And then sex feels like another physical demand rather than emotional intimacy. Um, there's, you know, if there's any mood concerns, postpartum depression and anxiety that can affect libido. And then any medications that we might use for that can also affect it. Amen. What, you, <laughs> and I'm glad you, you mentioned that. Let's take just a moment here Tell me if that's so common and mm -hmm. what do you do? What do you do for? So um, I say Zoloft is going to be the number one recommended medication, especially if a person is breastfeeding. Um, really, there are other medications, but Zoloft has the most evidence behind it. It's the most widely accepted safe in breastfeeding uh, antidepressant. And Zoloft also, and all of the SSRIs also is known to decrease libido. Um, exactly. And so I say, 
this is tricky because decreased libido is a symptom of depression and anxiety, yet it is also a side effect. So weeding that out will take some time. However, if you do find that it is worse, that it just feels like, you know, everything got much worse in that department after stop starting this medication, then, then, then that's not the medication for you. This isn't something, a side effect that we say, well, it's not important enough that we, that we would do so, not do something about this. We'll try another medication. And especially by that point, the baby is probably three, four, five, six months old. And the older a baby is the safer we can feel about other medications, especially once that baby is starting solids and the um, likelihood of getting uh, any sort of medication in the breast milk even goes down further. So what you're saying is you, if you find the, the depression or the anxiety, um, you start Zoloft as your, your go-to to start. And then you see how they do with that and then mm -hmm. decide whether you change that medication to something that may not affect um, uh, sexual mood as well mm -hmm. as much. If if Zoloft is disturbing. Uh, mm -hmm. Exactly. Okay. And um, I like to use LactMed. That's an app, L-A-C-T-M-E-D. It's an app you can get on your phone. I think I paid $10 for it when I first downloaded it, but it's not a recurring fee. It was 100% worth it. And you can just search any medication. You can get a brief synopsis on, you know, what this is like. That You can get like a summary and then also break it down into effects for breastfeeding, effects on baby, that sort of thing. And, and just to help make an informed decision along with the patient. What, what else about um, breastfeeding can... Um, impact sexual desire? You know, we know um, yeah. So beyond um, the things that I've mentioned, the, I would say arguably the biggest thing is hormones and how those are going to affect you and the changes in your hormones with breastfeeding um, last, you know, well beyond the hormonal changes that happen in those first few weeks postpartum. Uh, so Primarily, there's a decrease in estrogen and progesterone. Um, and I like to say it's almost like a little bit of a, um, a sneak peek into what menopause is going to look like, just because you have this decrease in um, estrogen, which can lead to a decrease in desire. It's going to lead to vaginal dryness, which can cause pain during sex. Um, you also have a lower uh, testosterone, which is also going to affect desire. Uh, your prolactin is higher. Of course, that's the hormone that we need to. Um, make milk and prolactin inhibits desire and is sort of the nurturing hormone, which, um, kind of helps the desire for a woman to need to see and hold her baby, uh, which, uh, you know, is, is usually inhibitory towards sexual desire. And then also there's oxytocin and oxytocin is a really tricky one because it is the same hormone that is released during letdown as well as during orgasm. So that is going to affect women in a few ways. Uh, one is it can cause milk ejection during sex, which if you don't know to expect that can be a little uh, alarming. So, you know, explaining that that is normal. Um, it can also, you know, if you have lots of oxytocin going all day, every time that you breastfeed your baby, um, your need for affection, um, is met. And so the likelihood of you seeking that elsewhere is going to be, uh, lower. So, that, that in a sort of more roundabout way will decrease desire. Um, and then there's also breast pain and engorgement during sex because of the oxytocin that can be increased. So all of that can really create this nice cascade and storm that is going to make sex just feel like the last thing that anybody wants to do. 
some authors suggest that the oxytocin can uh, make uh, breastfeeding erotic, and some women yes. report that. Do you do do you hear that very much? I don't. I have certainly uh, read that, and I don't hear it that much. And I think that's because there's some stigma there. Uh, but I do also. I'm glad you brought it up because I forgot to say it. But I do also mention that just in case um, a woman is experiencing that, so that they know that it is also normal. Because you know, it's it's you can you can break it down to biology. It's not nothing about anything else. It's just something that happens, and um, that's okay. It's normal, and it's okay, and it's okay to lean into. Okay. So you've talked to a woman about all of these things in the postpartum, just a long list, but she wants some take-home messages. She's sure. she's just going to have, she wants that list to, to remember to walk out of the office with, she's a breastfeeder. What are you going to tell her? What's the list? So the first, you know, most important thing is I've educated you. I've told you, you understand now that this is normal. I want, this is the take home message for you. Uh, this is normal. It's okay. There's nothing wrong with you. I want you to take that message home to your partner and, and have that conversation and communicate with your partner that, you know, these are the things that are going on. Um, and then in addition, continue that communication with your partner about, okay, so, you know, what does this mean for us? Um, for some couples, that means that breasts, breasts are off the table until, or off limits until we're done breastfeeding. And that's, you know, that's fine. Have that conversation ahead of time so that you're on the same page, but also for other couples, uh, breasts are fine. And, and we know, like, we know that there might be milk and that's, you know, that's fine. And that might be part of it, but having that um, conversation ahead of time so that there's no, uh, hurt feelings or, um, miscommunications during a sexual intimacy. Um, the other thing that I'll tell somebody is on, if you're going to stop at target on the way home, cause this is your first outing without the baby and that's what you're going to do anyway. Um, pick up some lubrication, take it home, throw it in the drawer. Uh, if you don't need it, fine. If you need it, it's there, it's ready to go. Uh, so you have a favorite. I don't have a favorite. I, I bet you do. <laughs> well, well, people talk and, and I've found the silicone based, Yeah. um, you know, the real wet stuff is, is. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be a crowd pleaser. So, mm -hmm. but I just, I just wondered what that's, you, well, what you know, that's good to know. I will take that and I'll start recommending it. Yeah. But so, but that's uh, an important one. And then of course, like we said, pelvic floor physical therapy, if there's any concern there, I'll offer that and um, offer to put in a referral uh, for that, I, you can, uh, pump or breastfeed before sex. Um, and that can help with that, that letdown and that sort of thing. Um, and also with the, um, with any sort of breast engorgement that might occur. Um, and then you also, I like to, you know, encourage people it's okay to schedule sex. Uh, and that can also, because, uh, something I didn't mention, but I think that probably makes a big difference is the American Academy of Pediatric recommendation a few years ago to keep baby in the room for six months at least. Uh, and that's, you know, going to affect the, just your availability. Um, so scheduling when that makes sense. Um, and an, uh, another thing that uh, I think is important to talk about is all of these things, I think sometimes highlight a common issue that people, um, are experiencing outside of postpartum and parenthood, which is that discrepancy in sexual desire, um, spontaneous versus responsive. That's such a common um, situation for a lot of couples. And I think that that is, gets 
uh, exacerbated in this. So going through what that is, and then also, again, like share this with your partner and, you know, start thinking about and workshopping things that, um, help you, that help you access your desire and, some a message that I like to give to partners if they're there or if, if the patient can uh, send it is um, rather than asking, and I know not many people use these exact terms anymore, but in a roundabout way, uh, rather than asking, are you in the mood? Um, asking, do you feel like getting into the mood? And then having some tools in your toolbox for what that would look like and how to get into the mood. And that can just help with, um, uh, couples feeling connected to each other and like they're in this together. I'll also tell people, you know, try different positions, one where you can control depth and penetration, take it slow. You it's okay. You don't have to go straight to intercourse. That doesn't have to be the, the goal every time. Um, you can experiment with other ways of intimacy, you know, kissing and touching and that sort of thing. Um, always have that open line of communication with your partner during that time. And, and, and if, if it still feels um, like it's just not working and it's, it doesn't feel like um, you can wait until you're done breastfeeding or, or something like that, then always come back, seek help. Let me know. Um, I have a, a list of colleagues for referrals and that sort of thing. Um, so you don't have to just live with this and assume that this is just the, how it is now. I, I really appreciate uh, the extensive information about this postpartum period. I wanted to mention that uh, February 3rd of 2023, I did a podcast with Dr. Rachel Pope, um, whose expertise is, is birth injuries. And we talked about pregnancy and the postpartum. I think that podcast, along with what you have just really gone over in great detail, would really, um, together, will really prepare uh, any practitioner or student to talk about this period of the postpartum. Do you have any parting shots for us? Any um, last things that you want to share? Um, I I think I you know what I think that we've covered it pretty well. You have. You have. <laughs> I I think um, if anything else, I would just maybe reiterate um, the importance of uh, in, encouraging and reassuring patients that you almost almost exclusively uh, what they're experiencing is normal and offering that support. And I know I said this last time, but always asking more questions um, to see if you, if there's anything that you're missing and you, you know, you're not bringing any preconceptions into the room with you to really help get them get at the heart of what's going on with them and not making an assumption that it's just because of breastfeeding or it's just because of, you know, your birth or something like that. Well, very good. Again, thank you for your time and expertise. It's, it's always great to talk to you, Teresa. Thank you again. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sex Ed for Sex Men. Please find the articles used in today's discussion in the show notes for further study. Also, you will find the contact information for our expert today.